Well, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. There we go. Thanks, Caleb. For those of you expecting to uh, hear Caleb preach this morning, uh, I'm sorry. Um, the uh, I can guarantee you probably won't have a couple more words to add to your vocabulary as I find myself uh, when Caleb preaches, or you won't hear a classic Louisville y'all uh, inserted into my my preaching. But I can guarantee you this: that the same spiritual authority that's given to Caleb each week has been passed along to me this morning. And uh, I'm confident that the Lord will speak through me this morning to you as we, can, as we consider an attempt to further understand who God is through His divine message. As you guys know, we've spent time in James since the beginning of this year with the prominent theme in James relating to our actions and deeds showing the fruit and condition of our hearts. And the guidance that we should be living, not with a short-sighted, worldly perspective, clouded by circumstance, but an eternal, heavenly perspective, centered on who God is and, our, and His promises to us. So, um, last week Caleb provided the first half of chapter 3. Right, we looked at James advising us about teaching, right, about the caution of, of teaching and how important uh, a charge that is, right. And he also talked about the taming of the tongue, right. How how uh, sharp an object our tongue can be, as we look to either encourage or, in fact, discourage those around us. This morning, we're going to dive into James chapter three verses. 13 through 18. In this text, we'll see that James is instructing his readers that there are two kinds of wisdom. There is a short-sighted earthly wisdom and an eternal perspective, heavenly wisdom. Contextually, he provides that we can evaluate that wisdom by the way in which we act. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we're going to turn to it here shortly. Uh, there, the table in front of me has uh, a few copies of the Bible. We encourage you to go ahead and grab that so that you have God's Word in front of you. Um, if you don't have a copy of God's Word and you grab one of those, I'd encourage you to keep it. Please, that's our gift to you. We want to cherish you with the Word of God. So if you don't have a Bible and you're grabbing one from the table, please keep it. So as we approach the Word in the context of James, uh, please play, pray with me. Restating in your own words silently uh, what I'm praying to the Lord alone. Dear Lord, as we approach your word and learn from your divine guidance and teaching, please allow your words to penetrate our minds, but most importantly, let it guide our hearts. Lord, please allow me to be the deliverer of your divine message, to be a conduit of your truth, and for that truth to resonate and stick in our minds and hearts throughout the week ahead. Lord, we recognize that this time of worship is not to be taken lightly, but is an opportunity to know you more and grow in relationship with you, our Father. Please allow us to approach your word, not with a self-centered approach of what does this text mean to me, but as a way to help us understand who you are, Lord, and how we are to respond in that truth. Lord, help us to move aside any distractions and thoughts 
which could cloud our understanding of who you are. Thank you for your word and for giving us direct access to you through our Son, our Lord and Jesus Christ. Amen. So as a context for the book of James, we know that James was the half-brother of Jesus, right? This was a guy that grew up with our Lord and Savior, right? That he, uh, but what a lot of people don't know, right, is this, this was not the James that was the disciple of Jesus. This wasn't the guy that throughout Jesus' ministry walked alongside him. Instead, this was a James that didn't acknowledge his own half-brother as Lord and Savior until after the resurrection. After that resurrection, the Lord had placed on half-brother James's heart the truth of the gospel. And at that point, James quickly became a leader in the church of Jerusalem. Now, this letter from James, it's a broad-reaching letter. It's sent to all Christians scattered throughout the Mediterranean world because of persecution. Right At that time, those, those who were proclaiming Jesus as Lord were being persecuted. They were being stoned. They were being killed. They were being told that they were fools and idiots. And so they were spread out across the world in fear, right? Across this area in fear for their lives. And so James penned this letter by the divine guidance of the Holy Spirit to remind, uh, to remind the people that are spread out um, that... Uh, that they shouldn't be tempted by intellectual agreement. Right? In that time, they were getting a lot of pressure that there were other truths in this world. Right? That Jesus wasn't the Savior, that there were other, other ways to get to salvation. Right? And, and as we know from what we see in the Pharisees, that idea a lot of times was through works. And so James was writing to remind the persecuted Christians that we cannot allow intellectual agreement to pass for true faith. Now this context of persecuted Christians and the temptation of intellectual agreement passing for true faith relates to us directly today, right? In our current circumstance. We live in a world where genuine faith and the power of the Holy Spirit is easily eclipsed by intellectual agreement, right? Perverted by the idea, we hear it all the time, that Jesus was a good person, that he had solid moral teaching, right? We have a lot of people that that have that wouldn't commit their lives to the Lord, but that would say Jesus is a good person, right? They would agree with that intellectual idea that God is good, or that Jesus was good, right? Now, genuine faith in a risen Christ becomes quickly replaced in our world with a moral relativism, Right, the idea that we're good people and that uh, that we're doing good enough, right? But uh, the difficulty and challenge, right, and what we're called to in this scripture is that uh, is that we're called to come to Christ to understand that He is a risen Christ, that He isn't just a good guy, right? That He is a living God that we put our faith and trust in. And so James is encouraging us to strengthen that faith and to allow that faith to result in tangible action. So with that, we're going to turn to James chapter 3, starting in verse 13 and continuing 
through verse 18. It reads, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But this wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest, harvest of righteousness. So as we look at those, as we look at that scripture, the big idea that we're going to consider this morning, and it's on the screen behind me, is that James is instructing his readers that there are two kinds of wisdom. The short-sighted earthly wisdom and an eternal perspective heavenly wisdom. Contextually, he provides that we can evaluate wisdom by the way in which we act. Again, James is instructing his readers that there are two kinds of wisdom. A short-sighted earthly wisdom and an eternal perspective heavenly wisdom. Contextually, he says that we can evaluate wisdom by the way that we act. As we look at this message in the inspired words of God through James... And always when we examine scripture, we have to first acknowledge that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Beyond that, we have to acknowledge that our Savior is Christ Jesus, right? Who lived a perfect life, but was persecuted, crucified to atone for our sins and the sins of the world. Then, once we go beyond that acknowledgement and that understanding we can begin to examine what Scripture is telling us about who God is with His Spirit residing in us and His identity being passed to us as children of God, how we are to respond to our world. We admit that we're sinners. We admit that our Savior is in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. And then we can impart and understand that out of that, uh, good deeds may flow. So, as we do that, let's first take a look at the first point, the short-sighted earthly wisdom. And I'm going to look back at Scripture again and reread verses 14 through 16, as James tells us about this earthly wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So that first point, short-sighted, and you'll see it on the screen behind me, short, or, no you won't, just kidding. Um, short-sighted earthly wisdom which is unspiritual and demonic, comes from envy and selfish ambition, which results in disorder and every evil practice. 
Again, we see that in verses 14 through 16. Short-sighted earthly wisdom, which is unspiritual and demonic, comes from envy and selfish ambition, which results in disorder and every evil practice. Now think about that for a second. Disorder and every evil practice comes from envy and self-ambition. Now, when I think of envy, I think of the idea of comparison, right? We do it all the time, right? An envious comparison that maybe looks at possessions, right? Asking why my neighbor has this nice boat while I limp along in my 18-year-old vehicle, right? Why an envious comparison that maybe questions how the, next, the person next to me at work is receiving all these opportunities to showcase their skills, while I'm here thinking I'm deserving of the same opportunity. Right? Maybe it's an envious comparison that wonders how and why another stay-at-home parent is able to have everything together, even though they're juggling more kids than we are. Right? But we, over here, wallow, trying to figure out how to handle two. And those thoughts lead to some pretty bad fruit. Right? Actions from motives of envy and selfish ambition that elevate myself above those around me. Why, right? To try harder and work more to be able to afford that boat. Right? To try to one-up my coworker to prove to those around me that I'm more capable. To get myself together more. To do more stuff for my kids. Right? To show that I'm as capable as that fellow stay-at-home parent. Now, all of those are leading to the question of what I can do in the here and now to improve my circumstance. Right? All of those are strategies and ideas full of selfish ambition and envy on what I can do. It's a me focus. Right? To try and solve what ails. And aren't those thoughts the resulting bad fruit a pretty short-sighted perspective? Right? It's pretty focused on those earthly possessions, right? Like that that's something that really matters, right? Like that that boat is really, really important and that's what's going to make me happy. Right? And sometimes it's those tangible possessions, right? That God has provided me. Sometimes it's the skills and talents that we have to acknowledge that the Lord has provided to me, right? That we, that we envy of others. But we acknowledge, and we've spoken about this over and over, someday soon, those things will pass. Does the boat I'm working harder make me happier? No. Does, does pushing for more opportunities at work satisfy me? Not for very long. Will doing whatever it takes to be more put together make me feel better? For a little bit. So each of us, in our own hearts and our own minds, has our own thoughts, right? Or our own desire for more opportunities to showcase our skills. Right? That we covet. Something that we really desire. In our heart of hearts, we desire those things. And in our own, and on our own, and by our own nature, 
we will continue to covet. Right? We will continue to wallow. We will continue to lack the fruits that come only from surrendering to the Holy Spirit. As we look at the short-sighted earthly perspective in the context of our local church body, right, the people that are sitting here, the people that sit across from us in our community groups, right, we'll find that if we, if we subscribe to that earth, short-sighted earthly wisdom, we're going to see comparison, like I talked about before, right? We're going to see slander, backbiting, gossip. We're going to see tearing each other down as opposed to God's intent for us to live in the meekness of wisdom. The inheritors of the earth, as stated in Matthew 5, 5, are the meek and are found in building one another up, loving one another, encouraging each other through the difficulties and struggles the world provides. The downcast, the disenfranchised, the powerless in the eyes of the world are the ones the kingdom of heaven favors. If that's the way that we view ourselves as meek and seeking, needing to seek wisdom from God, we're subscribing to godly wisdom. In James 2.5, if we go back a little bit before, it states... If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And the first part of that verse is a little bit of a, of a test, right? Because the idea that if any of you lacks wisdom, right, like, like the test would be, oh, I, I don't lack wisdom, right? But that would be the, the false test the idea that we need to avoid, right? That the answer to that, or what James, from my perspective, what James is really asking is, for those of you who lack wisdom in comparison to God, right? For those of you who lack wisdom in comparison to an almighty God, ask God for wisdom, right? So that message doesn't apply to the haughty. It doesn't apply to those who think they have it all together. It applies to each one of us who are less than God. We see many times over in the New Testament, the Pharisee at the home where the sinful woman anointed Jesus in Luke 7, right? Pouring out the perfume and rubbing his feet, calling him master. The expert of the law, the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10. And in, in Luke 7, when we talk about the Pharisee, right? The Pharisee was saying, how foolish a woman, right? To to anoint you, uh, Jesus, right? How silly and foolish. That guy thought he knew what truth was, right? He thought he had it together. He was doing the law, right? He was checking the list. He was righteous in the eyes of the Pharisees. But as we see, that righteousness is not a righteousness from God, right? That is not true righteousness. And we see that over and over again. Pride and self-knowing leading to the fall of man, right? Ultimately leading to our death in sin. If in those circumstances in the Bible, and if in those circumstances in our own lives, if instead we would 
turn to God, right? If we would ask Jesus for wisdom, instead of relying on our own short-sighted earthly wisdom and understanding of the world, which really is, is a form of selfish ambition, right? Our own understanding, we're relying on our own understanding. The Lord would have and will provide the eternal heavenly wisdom that results in salvation. Now, this idea leads us to our stated alternative, right? Putting our faith and trust in Christ Jesus, entrusting our lives to wisdom that comes from an eternal perspective. Let's look at this eternal perspective, heavenly wisdom, provided in verses 13, 17, and 18. And I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture again. It says in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good deeds, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And skipping to verse 17, it says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. <coughs> Peacemakers who show, who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Wow, as we look at verse 17, what a list, <laughs> right? A list of, of peace, peace-loving, consideration, submission, mercy, impartiality, sincerity, right? A God that lives up to that list must be a pretty awesome God, right? A God that results in good fruit and a harvest of righteousness. A God who desires and provides peace. Instead of wanting to get in the last word. Right? A God who desires and provides impartiality. Instead of passing judgment on fellow children of God for transgressions that we ourselves have also committed. A God who desires and provides submission. Instead of finding ways to hold the upper hand in a disagreement or situation, or being willing to humble ourselves to admit when we're wrong. That list describing heavenly wisdom, again, the ideas of purity, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, looks in meaning to what we see as the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Right? Where the Apostle Paul says, but in the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He continues in Galatians 5.26 in drawing a parallel to what we see in James to say, let us not become conceited, right, the idea of selfish ambition, but provoking and envying each other. Again, right, that idea of envy coming in again. So, what James is revealing to the persecuted Christians is what heavenly wisdom contains. Revealing who God is in providing heavenly wisdom. 
Just as the Apostle Paul did to the Galatians in providing a gauge to help us understand what is of the Spirit and what is not, James provides a gauge to what is heavenly wisdom and what is not. And we can see those characteristics of God from those two places in Scripture and how they easily align in the fruits of the Spirit and the wisdom of God. Now let me tell you a quick story about a situation I was faced with a couple weeks ago. I was sitting in the Denver airport returning home from a work trip in San Diego. Right? Pity me, a work trip to San Diego in February. I found myself anxious over all the things I hadn't accomplished during the week. Right? Ready and willing to open my computer and get to work on the mountain of emails and a couple projects that I had to slide out. Uh, because of what I was doing during the week. But as I sat there and I started to open my computer, I struck up a conversation with a lady that was sitting there at the gate ready to go to Jamestown. The conversation actually started because I noticed the gate that I was arriving at, the destination was Great Falls, Montana, which is my hometown. My flight wasn't for a couple hours, so actually Jamestown was the next flight at that gate, and so I... I out loud kind of commented, oh, isn't that funny? I could go home or I could wait a couple hours and really go home, right? And so that started a, a conversation with this lady at the terminal who said, oh, really? You're headed to Jamestown, right? Oh, hey, you're waiting for a while here too. Okay. Um, but this lady uh, was a godsend. This lady was amazing. She was a, a retired teacher. She uh, and as we began to just exchange pleasantries and explain who we were and, and where we went and, and how excited we were to be home, in my case, she started really divulging her life story to me. Right? She was a retired teacher. She was a widow and a mother of two whose husband and daughter <coughs> both had died of Huntington's disease. Now, those of you who don't know what Huntington's disease is, it's a crippling genetic disorder that looks like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and ALS all rolled into one. You lose every bodily function, and the quick, rapid rate, you're, you're leading to sure death. There's no cure, there's no hope, and the decline is rapid and unfortunate. Now, she admitted in our conversation that continued faith was a struggle for her. Right? She wondered when her son, who at age 40 and also had Huntington's disease, right? her husband died. Both of her children are going to die from Huntington's disease. <coughs> she was wondering if his wife and kids would see the glory Beyond that circumstance. And in that moment, I knew I didn't have the wisdom to tell her that it was going to be okay. I couldn't share a similar experience from my life. I couldn't tell her that there was going to be a cure for this horrible disease. 
But I did know that the Holy Spirit was asking me to pray. Pray for Charlotte and her family. The only comfort I knew to provide was the comfort of Christ. And so I asked Charlotte, I said, Charlotte, can I pray with you? She said, please, please do. And so, as I prayed for this wonderful woman, who admitted her faith and perspective had been challenged and eroded, through tears and gentle hug, the Lord imparted a small snippet of peace. The words the Lord imparted to me to share with Charlotte were a quick reminder of an eternal perspective with a greater promise than this world offers. A promise that one day we will be completely whole, with no Huntington's disease to ravage our lives and family. A time where the heavenly with, where, with the heavenly host, where no doubt and fear resides that this genetic disease will ravage her family. A time where a struggle to see God's goodness through the circumstance will pass. As we exchanged contact information, she thanked me for pointing her to the Lord. The wisdom in action that she needed was found in Christ and Christ alone. So as we look at these two ideas and these two points, right? Short-sighted earthly wisdom and eternal perspective, heavenly wisdom. The idea isn't to look at, look at these and say, which category do I usually fit in? Right? To accept or convince ourselves that we usually, or at least are going to try harder to, have an eternal perspective and heavenly wisdom. Right? It isn't, isn't to do that at all. That's a snare. That's a trap that Satan used in the garden to convince Adam that we are God's equal, right? That if we try hard enough, we can earn our salvation. The idea instead is to look at these two types of wisdom and acknowledge that as sinners, we fit into the first category, right? That we fit into the first category as seekers of earthly wisdom. It is unavoidable. It's part of our sin nature and earthly condition. The good news, however, is that we have a Savior in Christ Jesus, who allows us through Him to see glimpses of heavenly wisdom. We see many times over that although we fail to exhibit heavenly wisdom and subscribe to worldly wisdom, our Jesus never has. Our Jesus never has. Through that we begin to see eternal fruit in the here and now. We bask in His glory, although limited and only in glimpses in our current flesh, and look forward to the day when we can rest completely in His glory on the other side of salvation. So to circle back around, who does this say, who does this scripture, who does this pass? passage, say God is. With an eternal perspective, he is humble. He is pure. He is peaceful, submissive, merciful, impartial, and sincere. As children of God, those fruits reside in us. 
The call is to be obedient to faith that results in those fruits and heavenly wisdom pouring from our hearts to those around us. So that takes me to the charge and implication, right? For what scripture is instructing us on who God is and what it means for us in our present time and place. Now, if you were with us last week, you may have remembered that Caleb mentioned that in regards to a, a charge or an implication or a takeaway, that we have to avoid doing more. Right? A lot of times we come and, and we kind of, maybe we tuned out until, give me the snippet at the end that tells me what I have to do. Right? That tells me how can I see and understand the glory of the Lord in a few short actions this week. Right? And we need to avoid that. Right? We're called to avoid that idea. The idea that doing more will save us. So my charge and implication this week is that this message should result in a changed perspective. Right? A mind change. Right? Or maybe a mind, maybe a reminder. Right? Maybe, maybe we knew this truth to be true, and it's just that it's a reminder. But that's, that's what this is. It's made to change our perspective to something that it states similar to in Matthew 6.33, where it says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, which if we look previously in Matthew, he's talking about immediate needs, Right, all of these things will be given to you as well. Right, if we seek first the kingdom of God, the short-sighted, immediate things, the clothes on our back, the food that we eat, will be provided to us. Right, like the like the birds in the sky. Right, that that it will be given to us. And as we do that, as we seek first his kingdom, we will experience life transformation. Actions and words will flow from our changed hearts as the righteous fruit of our understanding. As our heart and mind changes, the fruit that is, that is born will be greater. We experience, we will experience right relationship with Christ Jesus on the throne of all areas of our lives. Now, seeking the kingdom of God seems simple, right? I mean, I just read Matthew 6.33. I'm sure we can all just apply it perfectly, right? We have our Bibles. We have access to the Father uh, by the power of Christ's Spirit, which dwells inside of us, right? We have a supportive community right here this morning, of encouragers and guides, right? This idea is simple. But unfortunately, we understand our nature, right? The Lord told us and explained to us our sinful nature. It doesn't allow it to be easy. It doesn't allow it to be simple. It's difficult. It's messy. It takes obedience, right? Doing what we are called even when we don't feel like it. It takes perseverance, maintaining steadfast belief and faith in biblical truth and promises. Right? It takes an eternal perspective, understanding that how we invest our time, 
efforts, and talents are stored up in heaven and not in current realities in this world or our current circumstances. And none of those things, obedience, perseverance, and eternal perspective, comes from us. Right? I can't try harder to get those things. They'll elude me consistently and forever. So what we need to do then is turn to Christ. Right? They're presented to us as gifts from a living God who wants a relationship with us through Jesus Christ. So the charge is to go from this place committed to seeking first the kingdom of God and putting all areas of our lives under the lordship of Christ Jesus. Which, interestingly enough, as we look forward... I encourage you this week to jump into James 4, right? The next, the next uh, set of verses that we're going to be looking into. And James 4 uh, will further this charge as it begins to talk about how we submit ourselves to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for our time of worship this morning as we examined your word. Lord, we ask that you would convict us this week to submit ourselves to you in all areas of our lives, being obedient to your call to display an eternal perspective through heavenly wisdom. We confess that you are the God on the throne of our lives, more than capable to surrender envy and selfish ambition that comes from our sinful nature in the flesh. Give us strength and perseverance to fight the spiritual battle that wages daily in our hearts and in the world around us as we attempt to die to ourselves, take up our cross daily, and submit to you. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen.